Is this frequency in use? Welcome to Southgate Vibes, a selection of the latest stories direct from Southgate Amateur Radio News. I'm Steve Richards, Golf 4 Hotel Papa Echo, and in this podcast, you're going to hear my personal picks of what is happening in amateur radio and the wider world of communications. Whether you're just starting out in ham radio or an experienced operator spinning around the spectrum for those rare and sometimes strange signals, I hope you'll find something to entertain you here. Welcome to Southgate Vibes. Thank you for joining me for podcast number 89. Three stories for you this time that I hope you'll find interesting. They're the ones that caught my eye anyway. They demonstrate the diversity of amateur radio quite well, I think. One second, we're focusing on satellites, which combine amateur radio fun with serious research, and then we're tracking hurricanes. Then we're reporting on a domestic bust-up involving a radio ham. <laughs> what a diverse hobby it is. So, let's start by paddling across the pond to America, where the hurricane season is in progress. A well-established amateur radio operation supports the National Hurricane Center with live reports on the highly localized situation from right across the USA and further from Mexico and the Caribbean. They've recently been having a busy time of it, with several storms coinciding with each other. The ARRL reports that Hurricane Grace and Hurricane Henri drew the attention of weather spotters over the past week. The Hurricane WatchNet, which tracked both storms to gather weather data for the National Hurricane Center in the USA, was able to cease operations at 18 hours UTC on August the 22nd, after watching Grace make two landfalls in Mexico. Things got busy and fast, said Hurricane WatchNet manager Bobby Graves, Kilo Bravo 5, Hotel Alpha Victor. Just before activating, at 12 hours UTC on Sunday, Henri was downgraded from a Category 1 hurricane to a tropical storm. Normally, the hurricane watchnet doesn't activate for tropical storms. However, given that the wind speed at the time of activation was just shy of being a hurricane, there was a slim possibility that Henri could regain Category 1 status. And, Graves noted, the storm was headed into the densely populated northeastern US. The rainfall generated by Henri, some of it record-breaking, caused heavy flooding in some areas, including New York City. That storm came ashore near westerly Rhode Island. 80,000 people suffered power outages in that region, and more widely, 130,000 saw blackouts. All told, the Hurricane WatchNet racked up a combined total of 27 hours on the air, with two activations for Hurricane Grace and two for Hurricane Henri. Graves said only one station reported from Mexico, but the net remained available to assist in any capacity needed. Concerning Hurricane Henri, Graves said that they were not lacking reporting stations, while maybe not as many as they would like, but they certainly had a good number checking in and forwarding their data. He said that radio conditions, while improved over the past few years as Solar Cycle 25 ramped up, got tough. 
At times, they would experience one-way propagation. For example, on Sunday, the net control station on duty was being heard by a station in the affected area, but could not hear the reporting station. His relay was able to hear the reporting station, but that station could not hear the relay. So the net control station asked the questions and the relay received the report. This is what's called teamwork. Graves is grateful that Henri was not as bad as it could have been. It never really got itself organised, unlike storms such as Sandy in 2012 and Bob back in 1991. Had Henri been another Sandy, the outcome would have been much worse. We were lucky and blessed in this regard, he said. It was a different story with Hurricane Grace, which made landfall in the Mexican state of Veracruz as a Category 3 hurricane, with sustained winds of 125 miles per hour, causing several fatalities. Grace tied a record with Hurricane Carl from 2010 of being the strongest hurricane ever recorded in the Bay of Campeche. Once it hit land, though, Grace quickly dissipated over mainland Mexico, while its remnants later reformed into Tropical Storm Marty in the eastern Pacific early Monday morning. Julia Ripoll, Whiskey Delta 4 Romeo at the National Hurricane Centre, also praised members of the Voice Over IP Hurricane Net for being extremely supportive of the main station, Whiskey X-Ray 4 November Hotel Charlie, at the centre. The VOIP net is a vital part of the WX4 NHC team, a part of the elite group that's called Hurricane Hams. Over the weekend, Eastern Massachusetts Aries Section Emergency Coordinator Rob Macedo, Kilo Delta One Charlie Yankee, who also manages the VOIP Hurricane Net, announced tentative plans for the Commonwealth in advance of Henri's arrival. These included coordination with Ares and Skywarn teams in the region and with the Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency. Macedo said that it was an extremely busy two days dealing with Henri. Two days prior, they dealt with flash flooding and two small tornadoes in southern New England from the remnants of Tropical Storm Fred. The storm also felled trees throughout the region. Ripoll said that the National Hurricane Centre and WX4NHC rely heavily on the work of the hurricane nets and appreciate the time and effort that goes into gathering surface reports from stations in the affected areas. The surface reports are vital to NHC as they paint a picture of ground-level physical conditions in real time. They all work as a team with a common goal to help the NHC, which will help those in the affected areas and hopefully help to save lives. National Hurricane Centre Senior Hurricane Specialist Stacey Stewart singled out the VOIP Hurricane Net and the Hurricane Watch Net for praise, calling the amateur radio reports extremely helpful. On August the 25th, Hurricane Watch Net Manager Bobby Graves was already keeping an eye on another possible storm, Tropical Depression 9. We are quickly moving into the heart of hurricane season, Graves said. All computer models bring Tropical Depression 9 over or very near the Yucatan Peninsula and into and over the very warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico. Once in the Gulf, this storm could go anywhere. Most models are showing either a Texas, Louisiana or possibly even a Mississippi landfall on Sunday or Monday. The question for now is how intense will this system be? It must be pretty depressing when you've designed a satellite, negotiated to get it into orbit, and then finding you can't communicate with it and it appears totally dead. Well, good old engineering perseverance has prevailed in this tale about a CubeSat that has just come to life. 
Radio Amateur Satellite Corporation, or AMSAT, volunteers have established communications with RADFX Sat 2, a small CubeSat that had been silent since it deployed in a Virgin Orbit launch on January 17, 2021. That day, the Californian based company successfully deployed 10 CubeSats selected by NASA as part of the agency's CubeSat launch initiative. Nine of them were designed, built, and tested by universities across the United States. The RADFX SAT 2 CubeSat was built by AMSAT with the science payload built at Vanderbilt Institute for Space and Defense Electronics by electrical engineering graduate students Rebecca Austin and James Tripp. Austin is now with NASA at the Goddard Space Flight Center and Tripp is with Sandia National Laboratories. It's alive after all, said Brian Sirosky, a research associate professor of electrical engineering at Vanderbilt. After six months of hard work, our AMSAT partners were able to establish communication with the satellite, which had been unresponsive since the launch. Red FXSAT-2 is a joint mission partnership between Vanderbilt University and AMSAT, and the fourth miniature satellite launched in that partnership to test radiation effects on space electronics. This project was supported in part by the Arnold Engineering Development Complex, the Defence Threat Reduction Agency and Broadcom Corporation. The Vanderbilt AMSAT missions run concurrently and provide experimental telemetry and amateur radio communications worldwide. You can find out more at engineering.vanderbilt.edu. Just head for the news section. You're listening to Southgate Vibes with me, Steve, G4 Hotel Papa Echo. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a comment or a question, pop us over an email. Our address is vibes at southgatearc.org. That's vibes at southgatearc.org. You never know, we might feature your message in a future edition. This next story I offer you without comment. You'll have to make up your own mind on the validity of the arguments. But I will muse that it demonstrates how quickly a neighbourly dispute can explode into a much bigger issue. And once those consultants and lawyers get involved, it's all about big money. A report on WFTV News in the United States reports that a woman with an apparently faulty insulin pump is trying to blame a radio amateur neighbour who lives several doors away. The woman, from Marion County in Florida, is taking on her neighbourhood association in a matter she says puts her health at risk. Michelle Smith, a type 1 diabetic and a consultant, determined that her neighbour's ham radio hobby might have interfered with the doses of insulin being pushed out from her pump. The 55-plus community where she lives hired the consultant and told the neighbour to shut down his amateur radio station. But a copy of the community's rules show a change was put in place that could pave the way for other similar antennas to be installed. WFTV's programme Nine Investigates learned that Smith's complaint went all the way to state level. She wants the Florida Commission on Human Relations to make a determination on whether the community's board and management is doing enough to protect her and others with medical devices. Smith has been in discussion with the community's association for more than a year after noticing the insulin pump she uses to manage her type 1 diabetes was suddenly giving the wrong amount of the medicine that keeps her alive. She said that she tried switching pumps, 
bought another one, switched reservoirs, threw insulin away, and did everything she knew of to troubleshoot. But after doing some research, she suspected the problem might be a few doors down. Radio ham David Burge was told to shut down his radio operation after an independent consultant was hired to investigate Smith's complaints. That engineer determined that the amateur radio operator could have produced radio frequency levels that exceeded those that Smith's insulin pump is intended to operate in. David Burge said, I've lost a hobby I enjoyed for more than half of my lifetime and the equipment is sitting in my office not plugged in. The WFTV report said that though his operation was shut down for now, the community's board of directors changed the wording in its rules and regulations to potentially allow more of these amateur radios in the future. Changing the definition of antennas allowed after approval from a device that's used to receive to one that could also transmit radio frequency signals. Smith said she requested a reasonable accommodation under the Fair Housing Act to ensure no high-frequency signals could be transmitted within 300 feet of her home. You can read the full story and watch the TV news report at www.wftv.com. Just head for the Nine Investigates section. Well, that's it for this time. You've been listening to Southgate Vibes, stories about amateur radio and the world of communications from Southgate Amateur Radio News. You can find these stories and many more daily reports at our website, southgatearc.org. Don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch by sending an email to vibes at southgatearc.org. So until next time, this is Steve Richards, G4 Hotel Papa Echo, signing off and wishing you best 7-3.